0: Yeah, what's so spectacular about cycling is, again, it's something for everybody. And that's my sweet spot is the intersection of sports that regular people can play and then the relationship with the pinnacle of the sport on the professional side.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about everything from business and innovation, technology, all different kinds of stuff, media, of course, uh, I'm Joe Favorito back again in the middle of the summer of twenty twenty one with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom. here we go again.
2: Um, yeah, Joe, it's kind of weird july is 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 going really quickly as it often does. and there's there's talk, of course about going back to school in six or seven weeks, like as in mm-hmm. back to campus. What a concept. Yep. And um, I know you're gonna be teaching in the fall as'. I am really looking forward to that. but, get beginning a little nervous this week with some of the news that's come out uh we don't need to dwell on that right now but um i'm just really hoping we can get back to morning side heights back to doing the podcast in person back to yep. meeting students as we uh always enjoy doing um but in the meantime we've, we've been on a roll of really fun podcasts and i think we're going to continue that role today because we have an
1: no pressure no pressure I was
2: say- yeah.
1: um So, Tom, we're going to go from the outer limits of space to the hard streets of Paris in one half hour with our guest today. And we're also in the middle, we're going to touch on the largest single day sporting event in the world, innovation, women's leadership, all different kinds of things in the next uh, half hour, 35 minutes. Our guest today is Mary Wittenberg. Mary,
0: welcome to the Cusp Show. Joe, Tom, great to join you. Oh, it's so
2: nice to have you. I've been, we've been wanting to have you on the show ever since we started it because you're, yep. you're such a, a towering figure in the business and an inspiration to so many people. So thank you for joining us.
0: Well, that's so nice for you. And at least if, um, if we are back to Zoom classes for a while, I'm glad that you're in great shape with these amazing vinyl records behind you as your <laughs> wall art, putting the rest of us to shame. and leading to some great conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. For sure. So um, Mary, your present role, uh, president, correct? EF Cycling. We are now, as we're talking at the end of July, we are reaching the end of the Tour de France. So we'd love to touch on, why don't we do it this way? Kind of walk us through from when you finished school to today, and then we can get into everything from Richard Branson going into the the levels of space who you've worked with, to a really interesting story, maybe the most interesting story in the Tour de France, which is someone who is on your cycling team.
0: Exactly. Well, I'll start at the end and work back for a minute. But um, uh, today I'm the president of Commercial EF Pro Cycling, so I'm very focused on both raising commercial revenue for the team and I'm very involved in our special projects like our um, diversity initiatives are um, reaching out and developing relationships and women's cycling and um, sort of the purpose driven side that is especially interesting to me. Um, I started my early days, 10 years as a corporate lawyer, purely as a means to an end. I knew it'd be a good way to pay off loans, and I knew it'd be an amazing foundation for working in sports. I'm one of those people, I always wanted to work in sports. I grew up not a good athlete, but in Buffalo, New York, where sports and community around sports and the big leagues and the big teams, it was a big part of part of life and connection. And I loved that, and I loved all that I learned by not being a great athlete and how, how grit and determination and hustle and, and those ty- types of attributes can, can help compensate for your pure talent. Um, over the years, I did find sports uh, that were more natural to me, like running and rowing and, and today cycling, although that's I'm not so good at that at all, um, but, but I, I really like it. Um, so my ambition always was to help other people unlock their potential through sport. So after my early years, as a lawyer, ever since I've worked in sports and mainly with these amazing organizations, communities, brands that were ready to go to the next level, that were ready to have often international reach, but always with a really strong foundation in, in local community.
2: Mary, what's interesting is that most people who have been in the sports world And certainly know the sports scene in New York and certainly know the running and fitness scene know you quite well because of the New York City Marathon and your Stewardship of that event is is one of the great stories of the first part of our sports business century 21st century. Can you can you just kind of summarize what you did there because you turned it into such a big deal. And and your name will always be tied to that brand as you know in a, in a very positive way. So just tell that story quickly.
0: Well, it's so nice. You, it was it was one of my greatest honors ever uh, to to be part of and to lead that organization. And the reason why is we have eight and a half million New Yorkers and and running celebrates the city every day, and it's something truly for everybody. And that's the ambition. How how do you how do we? How do we share the best of New York City with the entire world and how do we help every New Yorker and thereby everyone else who follows New Yorkers um, around the world realize they can move too and this can be a part of their life. So it's just an incredibly, um, it was such an incredibly meaningful role and something that was a ton of fun too because we could take you know, what, what was seen as a very serious sport for a certain kind of serious athlete and through incredible experiences like the New York City Marathon and the uh, Fifth Avenue Mile and the Bronx 10 Mile and the Harlem 5K and the Queens 10K, we could help people see in, in, that by, by wrapping this in a lot of fun and bring them together with other people that this actually is for something for everybody.
1: Mary, can you just touch on? People may not understand from when you started at the at the Roadrunners with the marathon to when you left. Um, what signs, not just the runners, but the scope of of everything that the the Roadrunners touched on in terms of brand involvement, how did it grow over that period of time? Because it's an amazing story, as Tom had mentioned.
0: So when I started in uh, the end of 1998, our overall operating budget was 17 million dollars. The marathon was successful, it had 30,000 people and the belief at the time from the amazing race director and leader before me, Alan Steinfeld, was we can never be bigger because we can't fit more people. And the weekly races, there was this great foundation that Fred LeBeau and Ted Corbett, the first president, they had set up where there were races in the boroughs. There were races in Central Park, which is the major protagonist in the New York City Marathon, New York Road story. But races were primarily men and they were about a thousand people. Like the Brooklyn half marathon was 2000 people and that was big. By time, I left. We were close, closing in on a hundred million operating revenue. We had, I think, I don't know, five hundred thousand people running with us a year. The marathon was fifty thousand because we had introduced waves because chip timing became a thing where you didn't all have mm-hmm. to cross the line at the same time. And our so-called weekly races constantly sold out at five or ten thousand people. And the Brooklyn Half became the, the nation's largest from 2000 people in a pure race to a real happening, celebrating Brooklyn with 28,000 people. So we were basically through fun experiences people wanted to be part of and that um, mattered to them, whether they were running for charity, whether they were running with the local run crew, whether they were running with family and friends, it mattered to them. And so they wanted to be part of it. so it was really just taking this amazing framework and making it available and more interesting to more people, including all kinds of kids running throughout the schools and the five boroughs.
2: What was the proudest moment you had after all those years there? Because you, you lived through some amazing times, 9-11 and uh, Sandy, and I mean, just some crazy stuff happened during your tenure there. And you did some amazing work around some of the big uh, challenges.
0: I think I was probably most proud um, always of our staff and all these runners who put so much into their given runs and especially the marathon and when I say staff I'd include the volunteers many who have been volunteering with families for decades and And proud that that's what defines the New York City Marathon, every person who's part of it working or running and the same with the weekly events. A specific event in year would have to be um, certainly 9-11 and then Marathon 2013 because Marathon 2013, we were coming back after the cancellation in 2012, when the marathon had sat in the middle of controversy in the city of whether it would go for it or not, which wasn't what, the marathon's about bringing people together, right? And so we really wanted to come back in a very meaningful way. And it also was the recovery six months after the Boston bombings. And so it was a really important day to be back on the streets of this biggest, you know, best city in the world with people from around the world and honoring Boston and in and, and showing that, as we showed at 9-11 time, that something of this kind of meaning in people's lives was going to carry on despite what had been the, the terrorists in Boston and the terrorists in nine eleven, 11 And that was a day that, that could have, that's that the buildup was full of a lot of nerves and concern and the entirety of the city came together and we ended up with it was just a spectacular day that helped everybody move forward. Again, both in the city, recovering from Sandy and in the sport of running, recovering from Boston.
1: Hmm. Um, as you move forward, you leave the Roadrunners Marathon in amazing shape, built a business that people probably didn't realize was there. Um, one of your other stops along the way, which we'd like to talk about, because the head of that global organization, Richard Branson, just recently did something, beat obviously beat Jeff Bezos into space, but was another part of the kind of the crazy innovation of, of what Virgin has become. But there was a business that you were put in charge of for a period of time called Virgin Sport. Uh, tell us a little bit about that pivot. Uh, what it was like working with Richard Branson and and kind of the unique tie to Virgin Galactic that I guess Virgin Sport became kind of a casualty of it
0: at one point. Uh, right? Yeah, so interesting. So um, first, I when I was at New York Roadrunners, I always wanted to take what we were doing on the road, which was this iconic large-scale event in the marathon that inspired year-round running in the community and in the schools. And to me, that was a model that made sense could we do that in LA? Could we do it in Philadelphia? Could we do it in these other cities, especially urban cities where it's such a chance to bring a diverse population of people together, right? But you need kind of the big event. People don't go from the couch to a mile, even though that would make a lot of sense. People go from the couch to the marathon. They need that catalyst and it's a personal catalyst and it's a it's a economic catalyst to, to fund year-round programming that isn't gonna make money to keep, keep an organization and community going. So when Richard Branson came along and he had just done a major bike race in Cape, Cape Epic in South Africa, where he was not in shape and he got through it because of the fans and he finished it. And he said, this is the kind of thing we can do because he had that experience and he, Virgin Mo- Money had been the, the sponsor of the London Marathon, which is the biggest fundraiser for charities throughout the UK every single year and he said wait this is really powerful why don't we do this around the world because not that many people were doing it um so I couldn't help but join and it was an amazing experience you know what I learned working with Richard it's always about the customer and the consumer first and then it's about working with your staff from a purpose and community perspective and those were both really good fits for me
2: I'm hoping you had at least one meeting on Necker Island at some point, but we can save that for the next podcast. Yeah,
0: no, we weren't the Necker Island crew. We were the scrappy startup, uh, yeah. you know, figure it all out crew. But what I could appreciate is back then, which was now six and a half years ago, mm-hmm. um, it was still a point where Richard was the believer in Virgin Galactic. And he was already... 10, 11 years into that effort. And so we knew his team and we actually went out to Long Beach and is where they were at one point with Virgin Orbit and Virgin Galactic. And there were runners there and we, we did a run group, but these were people so committed to something that was this big audacious goal, right? And all along, Richard was staking a lot on it certainly in mind share and certainly in, you know, expectation of all these people who've worked on it for a long time, but in, in staking his livelihood and in financials, it's not like a lot of people are running in to fund this, right? And so it's really interesting to me to see, you know, you just see over and over again, um, if you really believe in something, and he really wanted not just to him to go to space and i think this is part of the hard timing right now but he really wanted to believe that if we could step above our environment of earth and 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 look back at it it would give us a perspective of the importance of climate change and the importance of we're all actually one group lots of different people but that perspective of we share this planet together and it's the only one we have and so you know, all the way back then, that's, that's always what what we heard about his ambition. And he believed in it when not many people at all believed in it.
2: So is it fair to say at a certain point is the the focus had to shift away from the from the global sporting initiative?
0: Well, I would say he had virgin had so many businesses at the time, um, including virgin hotels and otherwise and, and virgin uh, events take a long time. It is not a um, it is not a simple three year build a business and it gets really successful. It needs real funding because to do this right, you've got to matter to a local community you, to have permits. You've got to be doing something for the community. You've got to build deep relationships in communities and communities and make sure your event is delivering for the local people as, including bringing people from around the world and whatever is most important to any given com- um, community. And it's different in, in each case. So it takes a long time. And I know I was honestly saying, look, if we want to build this really big as we want it to be, we were looking at, we were looking all over the world for where we want to do these events. It's going to be like eight, nine years. And we were already deep in and there were lots of other companies. So what made most sense was including Galactic, like they all, you know, different companies needed different amounts of funding. And and we, in the end, weren't going to make as much sense and it was just going to take longer but what we did have we built three amazing events in the uk and in london so the opportunity was to scale back from the global ambition and really focus deeply on these three events happening in east london the central london the british 10k and a, a beautiful event in oxford and in you know it was go deep instead of go wide and one of richard's strengths is he makes decisions fast like if it's clear something's not going to make sense in the, whatever the Puritan is, Um, okay, alter course and and go another direction. And so we ended up being really proud of the three events in the UK.
1: And then uh, speaking of big events, uh, you pivot after a a short period of time into the cycling business. Uh, I would say, Tom, that, that most of the people who listen to this know of cycling, know the Tour de France, but don't really realize the impact that professional cycling has. And well, actually many of our foreign students or foreign listeners would, but Mary, can you give, give kind of the scale of, of what it's like being around cycling now for the last couple of years and then kind of take us through that journey. And then to this very real, probably best story that, that your team has been part of uh, that has happened this year in the tour de France with literally one rider.
0: Yeah. It's, which- so spectacular about cycling is again, it's something for everybody. And that's my sweet spot is the intersection of sports that regular people can play. And then the relationship with the pinnacle of the sport on the professional side. And in the case of cycling, certainly coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people were on bikes and getting outside. You can't even get a bike anymore. But um, mm-hmm. and in the middle of climate change, the importance of cycling as transportation, and in countries around the world where cycling represents freedom and independence, like that is so powerful. Cycling as a movement. What's incredible on top of all that is cycling as a sport is not so big here in the U.S. Huge in Europe and in South America and other places of the world, and it is an incredibly, incredibly compelling sport. And from a commercial perspective, which is where I live every day, it is—I I can't believe how compelling it is. Global reach, insane frequency, ten-month season, and we are racing in spectacular—from big cities of London and Paris to the Alps and the Pyrenees—and um, the middle of Kansas to um, the, the middle of South Africa and Japan, literally global, um, and almost every single weekend, and it is the ultimate team sport. You know, people right now are following who's going to win the Tour de France, and they hear a name, and they're following the name, but no name can do it on their own. It's incredible, um, and incredibly compelling, interesting, um, riveting, the, the strategy around um cycling and I'm a believer in you play people can understand that a lot of people say oh it's too complex people won't get it you totally get it you get sucked into it just like you do any other big sport Mm -hmm. and um it's not been at the professional level it's very very diverse multiculturally like our team I think we have 18 nations represented among our 30 riders and our and our staff um but from a Gender and racial diversity; it hasn't been diverse at the professional level, and that's now the huge, huge opportunity on the women's side. We'll really have a chance now to grow the women's side, and actually, it's been diverse from a racial perspective in the sport, but the stories aren't told, and so all of that is part. I think of a even brighter future for the sport of cycling. Can I ask Can a question? That-
2: yeah. Yeah. Um- I never really understood how this worked in pro cycling teams. Do you, so, if you were to lose one of your riders for for whatever reason, do you have to go out and recruit, or do you have people coming after you? Like, what's the process of building a team? And you're looking—is it like building a company where you do need different skill sets to complement one another? It's
0: it's very much like you're used to with many sport teams where. You look ahead for the year. Right now, we're signing riders for 2022 and often for multi-year deals. And you have different kinds of riders. Like within a Grand Tour, like the Tour de France, there's three major Grand Tours. The Tour of Spain, Italy, and France. And those are three-week adventures. And you need the the strong sort of domestique rider who is there taking the bottles and the shirts and the rain jackets and, and carrying it all to your protected leader who, in a Grand Tour... In the mountains of these countries has to be usually a mix of a, a someone who can climb and time trial on their own um, so they're that's a unique um type of role um, so yeah there's multiple roles and then we have one day events that i think would be so compelling and understood by americans if they were broadcast here on a big platform these one day events are called classics like perry Roubaix and and flanders where it's an all-out race in one day and you're racing over cobbles and often in difficult weather and those those athletes are are bigger and 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 look more like uh somewhere maybe not as tall as basketball players at all but like a tennis player you know we have that uh mix of anaerobic and aerobic um ability, so you're making your team based on your priorities a mix of grand tour athletes um classics athletes and then our team what what Joe was referring to, we believe in an alternative calendar we created where we like to go out and mix it up beyond the world tour with where regular people are in like gravel races and mass participation races and in creating really unique adventures that can capture the imagination of, of all the rest of us.
2: So the the official name of your business is EF Pro Cycling just spend a minute. I mean, I think Joe and I know a little bit about EF from having gotten ready for this discussion, but talk a little bit about education first. And yeah. and, and can you just clarify mm. EF pro cycling is a standalone entity, business entity, I assume. And and education first is the sponsor primary yeah. sponsor of the team. Okay. Well,
0: actually, so think of EF, edu- EF pro cycling as a doing business as that's the, the the team organization but the team name which can change annually this gets to the business model um based on commercial partners so so naming partners is a big deal in this sport so the huge advantage to commercial partners is the lead commercial partners are the name of the team so right now our team is ef education nepo nepo is a japanese company every time Uh, you hear the announcers on the broadcast talk about one of our guys, it's EF Education Nepo. And that name is used over and over again. So the impressions are off the charts and part of the whole, you know, massive reach around cycling. So um, our team is fully owned. What's unique about us is EF Education, the company, EF Education First, owns the team. So we're the owner, but then we, we are set up, we're um, EF is first name, but we're trying to build a commercial proposition where we bring in other sponsors. So we bring in a second name, we bring in other sponsors like Rafa and Cannondale and Whoop um, and Pac um, and, and, and others. And now actually yesterday we launched a consumer business, a coaching business to try to, you know, again, tie the lifestyle side of this business, all to fund the team um, which is, think of it as EF Pro Cycling, but its name will be different um, every year, or few, few years based on if we bring in a second second name. Well,
2: wow, that's really interesting. So, yeah, you don't yeah, see that too much, obviously, in pro sports. We don't, we don't watch the AT&T Cowboys, you know, down in Dallas or something like that.
0: Well, it's a tough, it's, it's a great model for commercial sponsors. It's a tough model for fans because we don't have home locations. It is the traveling show, right? And we do like, we're the longest standing US team, um, but we were very multicultural and we race around the world. So it's it's really different in that way. The, the challenge to the model is it is all sponsor funded. That's why we're trying to build the consumer revenue streams as well. Uh, but there's no cut of broadcast. There's That's held at the event level with, for example, the Tour de France. So you've got a lot of passionate people and companies funding these teams that are expensive to your early question. We have 30 riders on the men's team and you recruit a big enough roster to get you through the season. So if you lose somebody, um, one in a race, you don't replace them. So in the tour de France, there are, ma- we have eight guys left. There are major teams that are down to three people wow. because you mm-hmm. crash and it's a little like formula one crash is a part of it, unfortunately, <laughs> but you crash and you don't get to Sub someone in like at a soccer game right it's you lose that person and it's the same on your roster i guess you could add but you have you carry a big enough roster which is part of the expense to to handle the reality that you're going to lose people to injury and crashes throughout the year
1: and and mary uh tell us about the probably like i had mentioned before the most one of the most interesting stories around the tour de france this year you're one rider from australia who's really kind of built a an amazing story unto himself.
0: Yeah, so this is what we love to do most. Um, so every year we, we have what we call this alternative calendar. And, and we also always are having moments of how do we get wider to a wider audience, right? So over the years, for example, gravel riding is much more popular now. I'm pretty excited about it for women too. You know, you're off the road, you're, you're, you're on dirt um, and gravel racing, you know, the places. So we did what's now called the Unbound Gravel. In Kansas last year was kind of a big deal because it's a people's race and we as the best riders in the world joined that event. Um, Last year, we also did with Rafa a collab with the skateboard brand palace around our kit for the tour to Italy and it was like this crazy kit and got all these people talking so we like to get people talking paying attention and then we like to. Ride in a way that inspires so this year, among the efforts on that alternative calendar was maybe this best ever, um, where Lachlan Morton, this Australian athlete who was a phenom as a young rider, um, has has, has this unique, like he loves these adventures where you really don't know if you're going to succeed or not. So the ambition was, could he on his own, as in the early days, a century ago of the Tour de France, ride the entirety of the Tour de France unsupported, including transfers where the pro athletes in the full-on race are taking a bus between transfers. He rode it all, some 5,000 kilometers um, on his own, unsupported. He was his own cook, his own shopper, his own mechanic, and the number of times he had to change tires was amazing his own carrier of his lodging, his own set up his own lodging where he stayed in this little tent out in the pouring rain any number of nights. And all, all with an ambition of helping other people realize, hey, you could do your own adventure. And me, it was incredibly compelling.
2: I, I didn't know about that little secret called transfers in these big global races. Uh, so so the, the idea is just to be clear, Um, You reach a certain milestone and then you're not going to ride for another uh, certain uh, distance and they get transferred to that new starting point. So this is a
0: high end professional sport like the NBA flies in their private jets. Okay. We don't have that, but we have these beautiful decked out buses so that the athletes travel in great comfort and with incredible food and with showers and using their the massage and recovery tools and so they are they have these big areas where they after six hours of racing they drive to the next start point and he did all of those on bike unsupported and what ended up being inc- incredible about this is he loves this uncertainty of whether he can do it we didn't know if he could do it one two could he beat the peloton that was the other thing he was trying to race to beat the Peloton, which of course, when you ride the Peloton, you have all the support and you ride in the slipstream of other people. So you're much faster, right? Um, But also he has this mindset of he just takes on what's in front of him and keeps, keeps going. So by about day three, his knees were hurting. So he, you know, you wear these racing shoes that clip into your pedals to provide incredible efficiency and effectiveness in riding in the Alps on the uphill, and the downhill, his knee was hurting. So he took off his racing shoes and got a pair of sandals. And he ended up riding with his tent, with this bike fully loaded in sandals, in the rain and the cold, and then the heat up and then with blisters, as you can imagine up and down the Alps and the Pyrenees, and he wore them all the way to the end. And it's just such an example of, you don't, you cannot prepare yourself for what your challenge is going to be in any given adventure in life like this. You see the parallels to real life, and you just figure it out, and you don't be afraid of it, and you just say, I'm going to do this. And like, sometimes I say to my sons in something hard, just get through the next hour. Well, Lachlan was at a point of saying, just get through the next minute, and- if you just get through the next minute, or if you're a runner the next mile, or you know, in life the next, you know class or whatever it is, like you can get through things and and or have a better chance of it. And that's what he did and captivated so many people, including raising over five hundred thousand dollars for World bicycle relief, which gets these heavy sturdy bikes to um, people throughout Africa with like 70% young girls and helping create independence and freedom and helping kids get to school and all part of an anti-poverty effort. But um, what was compelling is people were donating $10 and $20 and incredibly powerful from a grassroots um, movement around supporting what he was doing. And and helping other people through through that effort.
2: So, Mayor, I'm curious how you were able to tell that story to the public, because it's so interesting. Are, it, does your job type, uh, responsibility list include media and marketing? Like, well, or, our
0: team, um, okay. really, we have a whole, not a whole team. We are so small and scrappy. It's, and actually, I love it. Like, our team is so effective. And the beauty of a story like this is it's real, right? Like. Mm-hmm. We just set Lachlan up for success by giving him the opportunity and, and, you know, talking to the SO, the head of the Tour de France to say, he's going to do this and, and putting storytellers, Rafa, our partner is the key storyteller in all this, which, you know, you've got to amplify it. So our tiny team, um, on the media and marketing side did an amazing job covering the Tour de France working with Rafa and covering what Lachman was doing um and you know bringing bringing people into this but it it's one of those real stories that just built on itself like other routers routers found him and went out and rode with him and you know the wall street journal ended up doing three articles in two weeks and the new york times just um a writer just wrote a beautiful piece about how he got engaged by this and again it's the beautiful thing about it, it was an accessibility story, even though it's crazy, like the rest of us, like, are we gonna go ride the entirety of the Tour de France? Probably not, but what he was showing is, you know what? Nobody's stopping any of us who had the opportunity from picking the the mountain or hill in our backyard and and just going and doing it and, and doing it, you know, and dreaming big and maybe it is getting to France to do part of the Tour de France someday. And people got really pulled into it.
2: Hey Joe, just a so, quick follow-up before you go. Um, you, you you talked about the media rights residing with the network partner in this case NBC. Do the individual teams such as EF Pro Cycling have at least kind of short-form, let's call them highlight or shoulder program, programming? Let's say social media rights. Could like could you document that through Instagram Live or TikTok yeah. or something?
0: That's yeah. the that's the beautiful. Like our whole, you know, our engagement is incredibly deep. Um, with our fans, because it's all through storytelling on Instagram, mainly Instagram, but Instagram and YouTube. And, you know, especially our Rafa is, is like a co-production partner. They really actually lead a lot of the media and storytelling and their, their YouTube and storytelling is really powerful. And our team does a really good job and compliment. And then the same, you know, Canadale and Pac, they too are storytellers, actually almost everybody's marketing platform around the team is based in storytelling and all of it is social based.
1: And it's funny, speaking of the Wall Street Journal, I was at dinner. This is a Friday morning now uh, on a Thursday night with my brother-in-law, who is a financial advisor, and he just randomly turned to me. goes, you know, I read this amazing story in the Wall Street Journal about this guy at the Tour de France last night. And I'm like, there you go. There's the example of how stories get told totally random without knowing that anything that i had any connection to this or that we were doing this today so resonated with somebody
0: makes so. me so happy i ran in central park the other morning i had hadn't been back in new york city and this guy shouts to me that guy's amazing i'm like what that's guy funny. that f guy I'm like oh them I'm mm-hmm. um but again and he wouldn't even want us saying it was him that's amazing but you know he's representing this like let's go out and try something. We have no idea if it's possible or not, sounds insane. And now it's so fun to watch. I was just looking at Instagram. He was out riding with a bunch of people this morning and I think he rode from Paris to Versailles yesterday. And the guy just loves the bike and he loves the adventure. And, and that's, you know, again, like our, think about our metaphors, right? Of what that means in each of our own lives of getting out and going after it. And, you know, it's fun.
2: So Mary, you mentioned you mentioned running. You you haven't hung up your running shoes yet to and switched over to bicycling as your as a fitness activity?
0: Uh, I love both. I definitely run more because it's just easier to get out the door. But last year I was in Boston and I had this great 40-mile ride uh, along the Minuteman Trail and into Lexington and Concord. And I loved it. So I really I too like the the get out and go somewhere part of it. And so actually with Virgin and Richard three years ago, I had this amazing chance as part of this charity strive challenge to ride my first ever hundred milers. And I was so afraid I didn't, I wasn't ready. And it's, it's so, it's such an amazing way to see, we were in Italy and it's just such an amazing way to see the world and to get out with other people. And so I love it, but especially this year, I haven't been on my bike as much. And I'll tell you, I'm not nearly strong for running in my running without the cycling, so they go pretty well together. Nice.
1: Sounds like there's a triathlon somewhere in the distance too. If
0: I can only swim, but the big thing is (laughs) being back in New York City, I'll commute on bike. Like I really like to do that. You've got to be super careful and mindful, but it's it's such a good way to get around. Wait,
2: what is commuting? I, I don't really know what that means.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Isn't that it what we're doing now? Right. Going from one place to another. Oh, place right.
2: about, but seriously, do you guys have an office in New York?
0: Uh, we don't, there's a big EF school, but uh, we don't have New York City. So now I mean commuting, uh, you know, going to a meeting or something like that. Yeah, okay. Going know. to Midtown yeah, yesterday. Where, for, where's
2: the EF school, anyway. by the way?
0: Um, up in um, Westchester. Okay. So EF has got this amazing. Most people know it in the US as their kids' first trip to uh, DC, sometimes New York if you're from the West Coast or otherwise, or even their first trip to Europe in high school. But you go with the high school, so sometimes you don't even know it's EF below it. But also, so in addition to taking kids from the US around the world and helping, they're all education-based, right? Learning other cultures, being immersed in other cultures, and this belief of if we can bring people together with learning of other cultures, it breaks down barriers, and and, um, but in other areas of the world, it's about teaching English. So people come to the U.S. to go to school for different lengths of time in Miami, California, outside New York City. Um, and there it's, it's all about learning English in most place, places in the similar programs in Australia, uh, the UK, and it's a really fun way to learn language.
2: Can I, I just, I know we're gonna wrap up in a few minutes, Joe, but I, I just wanna go back to Sure. Your experience with Richard Branson, because it's so fascinating because he's such a he's such a legendary figure in the world of business and culture. Um, what did you what was one thing you learned from him? I mean, his his success is incredible. You got to be around him for a few. It sounds like at least a couple of years. What did you learn from him?
0: Well, definitely, you know, he holds fast to dreams, right? Like when he believes in something like Galactic. Um, and again i saw everybody so many people try to argue with him about that um or not believe to the same degree um uh, and that definitely like your customer what is this all about and is this fun like he would not he did not want to see decks and slides and he's like is experience going to be fun are people going to love this is it going to be good for people and then the last part and his daughter holly's really taking this on is it's a super purpose-driven organization and again like the customer, it's about people first. So they were the first ones to say, "You don't have to be in the office every day." Years ago, right? Exactly. And and also, you know, how do you how do you how do you give back? And again, at these important times, you look at things like is investing in the spaceship is that what we need in the world? And you know, at least through his eyes, it's through an ambition of can we can we make this accessible for all, or can we and or can we make the the result of it something that's important for for a broader population of people. So, you know, a lot of things I believe in anyway, but it's it's fun to see someone like him driven by things like that.
2: Yeah, huge amount of energy. Cool.
0: Amazing. Talk about the importance of fitness. And I don't know that that was always, but he always had huge energy, but I think it was more, you know, they were, it was a music era, right? Like it was a different day, but today he takes his fitness really seriously. And is he's got, incredible energy that's for sure
1: well we're all about energy for sure speaking of energy uh and you are tremendously full of energy and you've touched on a lot of the advice i think um but uh, the last two questions that we always ask our guests mary are how do you stay up to date especially being now involved in a global sport more than ever uh with everything that you need to do to do your job where do you go to get your information and then if there's one nugget of advice that we really haven't touched on Um, for either people who are switching careers or starting a career? What is it that you tell people? I'll
0: start with the advice. Definitely the advice is constantly nurturing that growth mindset um, in yourself and in your people because none of us are fully formed ever. Ever. And we're all getting it, you know, we're not at the early stages of our career. And I'm so excited for everything I still need to learn and I'm learning. And I think we have to help people understand. I always use it as an example of language, right? You don't just know language. You have to learn a new language and you do same with musical instruments. I was listening to Kara Goucher, a great runner the other day on a podcast of how she almost didn't accept uh, a chance to be broadcaster for the olympics because she didn't think she could do it and she was so afraid of it and her and her husband this is a a, a medalist and a world champion medalist um and an olympian and it happens to everybody i don't know if i can possibly do that get in the arena and just you're gonna learn and if you hate something you don't have to do it again but right. but give everything a chance but especially because we all are constantly learning and and I think to be forgiving with the people we work with in, in helping them realize look it like you're not supposed to know it all today and you're gonna learn just be certainly be proactive in learning but but realize it's a, it's a constant journey and we can learn every one of us can learn and and expand and grow and that's like that's my number one thing and advice and just a reminder people know it but they need to be reminded um because sometimes people aren't telling them in their environments, not telling them in the situations, not telling them, but it's true. Um, what do I stay up on? It's interesting. It used to be less sport. I would say most of my New York Roadrunners years, I was much more focused on culture. You know what's happening. You know, and building big experiences. What's happening in art and music? What's it? What's it mean for an experience that we're we're trying to lure people into? What's it mean in celebrating New York City? And certainly. And what's happening, like what, what, what is the news about New York city and about our neighborhoods? Um, today I am actually back into focusing on sport and, and part of that has really come from trying to help women's sports, um, in running, we wanted equal prize money. We made it. We wanted to pay the women more. We did it. We wanted to put the women first on the marathon field. We did it. It was easy. It's like 10, not easy, but like tennis, you know these big events could could make it equal for men and women easily i got to cycling and saw these amazing women cyclists haven't yet had the chance they haven't had the platform and the narrative is what we hear in other sports well the audience isn't there and as we know it is not true if you don't show it to people the audience is going to be there so let's find a way to show people these sports right so lately I've actually gotten much deeper looking at what's happening in sports leagues, sports teams, what are the ways to be innovative around the fan and engaging them in new ways so that we can build commercial propositions that prove that these are especially women's sports are viable as businesses and as entertainment. Um, so it's pretty it's a little bit hard to keep keep up with everything but it's a super exciting time so, Uh, I would say your podcast, I would say Patty Phillips, um, women leaders in sport. Um, that's a great organization, uh, focused on college sports, but just so much information out of that organization. And they've got a super podcast. Um, and I would say, you know, um, certainly in the broader, I'm a a big fan of the daily at the Mm -hmm. New York times and, um, a lot of your students, I'm sure, you know, like, um, Professor Galloway and um, and um, Kara, yeah, Kara Fisher, Kara Fisher Pivot. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam Grant's got good stuff out of Wharton, and like you guys do out of Columbia. So actually, I think the college space. What's interesting about podcast in university settings, like what you're doing, and then what Patty Phillips is doing um, in women leaders in sports coming out of college. You're actually going deeper than a lot of people. Because you're studying this, and so it's really helpful for other executives to and other people working in sports to to follow you because you're going deep and you're seeing trends and you can get a you know learn a lot that way.
2: We just keep guessing. That's what we do. (laughs) Well, but Um, it's something, Joe, that we've mm -hmm. talked about before, Mary. I, I say this to my students, and I'm sure Joe says something similar. Is that part of learning a new business, because they're all relatively young trying to build their careers, is learning the, the lingua franca of the business. Like you need to learn their terminology, the acronyms, the phrases. You need to kind of, to your point before, you need to learn the language of the sports business. It and it and can't just be top line, you know, kind of vocabulary. You need to have, a, you need to back that up with with insights and thoughts about what's
0: behind what you're talking about. And with your team, so you got to go deep and figure out what you want to do. And if you, you're not in a vacuum, right? So you have a chance to learn from other people. What's cool about the sports world is it's actually pretty accessible on the business side. So, you know, I always like to ask, you know, you study the history of how a league or a team or sport got to a given point, but actually what you really want to know from them is, okay, you know your history, what would you do differently today? and then what do you see happening right and then if you're willing to share information others will will share it with you and you're not in it alone and you want to think creatively and how you and your sport or your team or your organization can do things differently but also where are the best practices and where can you learn from other people and what they've learned through trials and success wow perfect um perfect
2: ending
1: yeah, so, so Tom, uh, Mary, it's obviously, it's great to have you on this. It's great to have you back in New York. It is our hope, hint, hint, that we may be seeing you around campus at some point in the academic year, although we can't say anything officially, but you know, I think, uh, especially for our students who are listening, our alumni, you may have a chance to run into Mary at some point, somewhere in the next year on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, regardless of whether you're running or cycling. So, just kind of, uh, we'll throw that out there a little bit before we end.
0: So. Uh, we're hopeful. I think it'd be a yeah. blast. Yeah. Maybe also. a little after the Christmas season would be fun. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Anyway. Holiday
0: season.
1: Um, before we let you go, how do people follow EF? How do they um, interact with you at all? Um, give us a couple of places where they should be looking to follow. Definitely.
0: Um, EFProCycling.com is our site and our Instagram handle um or the best places and then i'm kind of i don't do a ton of social i would say instagram i think i'm mary rw runs but it's kind of more personal it's kind of a mix of personal work and then i do a little bit linkedin i like linkedin i just forget to do it a lot but um but yeah follow us um on our channels and and me on my
2: So I'm looking sure forward to the ready. launch of Lachlan's Netflix series next year for the for the well, racing season. At, for absolutely. Sure. <laughs> you,
0: you know Rafa's Rafa's got it all. so yeah. I think we'll have it,
2: it kind of makes sense actually, as a short as a limited series kind of dra- drama. It would be really yeah. good.
0: Totally. And we are lucky because these partners, like they their marketing is through content and storytelling of the team, and it's right. incredible. It's kind of a win for everybody. and yeah. they're super yeah. excited to see more and revisit it.
2: All right. That was amazing, Joe. Again. Yep. We're, we're super time
1: excited time. that we finally got you on, Mary, and, and to touch on so many areas, especially like you said, as your former boss has just entered space and has come back to tell us about it as well.
0: Good stuff. Lots lots yeah, of head. Cool. Lots lots of needs in the world. And hopefully in the sporting world, we can be part of part of satisfying some of those. Cool. Awesome. Tom,
2: you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Well, everybody, we've been uh, we've had the good uh, Fortune and pleasure of talking to Mary Wittenberg, who's um, kind of a legend in this business of sports in New York City and running and fitness and stuff like that. And um, gosh, I, I wouldn't—I'm—I I, personally would encourage a lot of people to listen to this because I think your your attitude about how you've approached your career is really really smart and the fact that when you were asked the question about advice and you and you mentioned growth mindset i I smiled because that's literally the last thing i say (laughs) every semester in my class i use the word mindset Uh, because it comes from one of the books we read uh, growth hacker marketing and i and i couldn't agree with you more it's just that mindset of continual learning lifelong learning open mind all the things i think you're trying to promote so so good for you for for keeping it up
0: and that was Lachlan's story of of mindset and approach. Like it's it's what it's what we can control actually, and it can lead us to pretty great places. So
2: yeah, well as you as you've proven uh, with an amazing well, career, so that. it's, yes, it's sure always that. a ride. Yeah. It's always a
0: journey. Let's just you know, you just keep keep going and get the that's most out right. of the highs it's, and the lows, right? You just
2: worry about the next minute, as you said. That's that's the best approach. But anyway, Mary, thanks so much for joining us. It was really great to have you. Really appreciate the
0: time. A pleasure to talk to both of you. Thanks for trying to always share great stuff with uh, all the rest oh, of us.
2: Well, thank you for, for your compliment. Um, everybody, uh, thank you for listening. Check out EF, check out Mary. A lot to learn from her and a lot of interesting stuff happening on the content front from EF Pro Cycling. So check it out. We'll see you next time on the Cusp Show.